Hello, you're listening to KPMG's Private Client Insight Series, where we examine topical issues related to wealth management and family matters. I'm Vincent Wall, and I'm delighted to be joined on this occasion by Kian Liddy, Tax Director KPMG, and we're going to tease out some of the key issues relating to making an impact with your wealth. Kian, good to talk to you. Thanks, Vincent. Delighted to be here. Now, uh, there's a number of ways in which you can obviously make an impact with either your personal or your, your, your the wealth that you, you've accumulated through your business. But let's talk about philanthropy first. And I think we want to principally sure. focus on philanthropy. Is this a growing phenomenon where people want to be philanthropic or at least think about being philanthropic with their wealth? And what are the motivations for it? If I take the second one first, maybe anything, as with anything in life, there are multiple reasons for philanthropy. So it's very much a personal choice and the, the personal motivation is tends to be just that. It's very personal. So first and foremost, I think lots of people want to have that sense of giving back to the community. Like We are all a product of the environment in which we grew up and the opportunities that that gave us. And many people who have done well in life from that upbringing and the environment feel they want to give back and give the same or even better opportunities to those people who are coming after them. And that's really a lot of the motivation behind why people would get engaged in philanthropy. Others then expand it and use it as a quasi a re- more rewarding family experience and an education experience for their children. So, in fact, sometimes charities are set up not only to give philanthropically for the the individuals themselves, but also for their children to carry it on, maybe grandchildren, and create that legacy effect where it's multi-generational and it continues even long after the person who originally set it up has departed. Uh, and and is, there, is there a double motivation there sometimes that, one, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's to, it's, it's to sh- show kids, uh, if I may call them kids, um, some of the proper things to do with wealth, but also just how to manage money? Exactly. It's very much educational for the children. If you think about the, the children, and we'll call them children in reality, they're, they're probably not mm. what we normally think of as children, but they have grown up in more likely a privileged position. And their parents like to, I suppose, show them that it is a privileged position and there are others who may not have had the same privileges. Mm. And getting involved in that philanthropic work for the children shows them the effort that needs to go in to make anything a success. Um, It gives them a sense of achievement when they stand back and say, well, I was involved in that, be it building a school or whatever it might be. I did that. There is a sense of achievement from that. And I suppose it teaches them the value of money as much as anything else there are if you grow up in a really privileged background sometimes there can be a sense that actually uh, they need to understand the value of money uh, in a in a more tangible way and see it on the ground and what it actually means to people when you get involved in this type of thing and then I suppose the final one which is uh, I won't say selfish but a, more of a benefit for the parent themselves uh, they like that rewarding experience of working with their children uh, in, a, in a lot of families, parents would not get the opportunity otherwise to work with their children. Whereas if you get them involved in philanthropy and it's a, it's a family project, next thing they are working with them. And what's more, they're working with them towards something that they all feel that sense of achievement afterwards. And, and that's crucial for the family. Now, you mentioned about giving back to your community. In, in many cases, and in growing, I suppose, high-profile cases, that community can be an overseas community. I, I'm thinking, for instance, of something like the Niall Mellon Foundation in South Africa or whatever. Yeah, it ca- can very much be. Um, I, As I said, the, I said community, and it was slightly deliberate that it can be national, it can be local, but also it can be international. And we have had cases where people have 
gone abroad to, and that's where they wanted to give back to the community. I mean, I had one client where there was a family connection to a particular country, which I, I won't mention for confidentiality reasons, but they had visited that country a number of times growing up. They were struck by, I suppose, the difference between growing up in Ireland and growing up in that country and the difference, particularly in educational opportunities. So as they would have seen it, even growing up as a child, they were aware that they had this educational opportunity in Ireland that meant they could progress and do whatever they liked with the rest of their life. Whereas maybe if they had just by chance grown up in the country they were visiting, they would not have had that same opportunity. And so when they got a chance later in life that they had their own wealth, they decided, do you know what, I would like to change that. It might only be for a small cohort of people because you know it's a vast amount of money you'd need to change it for larger groups. But I'd like to improve those people's lives um, so they went off they set up a charity with that purpose in mind uh, got children, their children involved at this stage because they were uh, adults partnered with an international charity and went off and they actually built a number of schools in various localities where they had visited as a child and th- there was this sense of a life cycle they had visited as a child seen what it was and come back and try to improve it for the next generation of children who were living there and visiting. Fair play to them. So various motivations involved there, including, I suppose, let's face it, maybe sometimes ego as well. I'll say that, Keen, I wouldn't expect you to. Given that, what are the principal issues involved when people are thinking of going down this road? I suppose, given that issue of ego, whether it's involved or not, that question of whether it's public or private, I suppose, is one of the first ones. Exactly. And that public versus privacy issue is a very subjective one and people have their own views on it and there are different reasons for taking different approaches. You may even find actually that people make a very public donation and they may also make a very private one and you would never know about it but there are reasons for it. So things that I suppose people think about in that sphere. uh, People sometimes they don't want it to be known, don't want the attention that it brings there, there is a certain level particularly of for large donations there's a level of media attention that it mm-hmm. brings and we were discussing that elsewhere the whole privacy issue with Francis your colleague yeah yeah exactly and it's it's one that I suppose, if you make that type of large donation it can't be avoided it will happen there, I mean there has been a high profile uh, donation in the last while that is all over the media I mean is it the I, Trinity uh, campus yeah. exactly I have I've no knowledge or involvement on it but it is one that is all over the papers and whereas other clients will say actually I don't want that and I'd prefer to do it privately not have anyone know at all and even do it through an intermediary to make sure nobody knows that I was involved in it and that is their own choice um, and you will find that a lot of donations are made in that manner. And equally on the public side, sometimes people turn around and say, actually, do you know what? If people know that it is me making this donation, maybe, sorry, not in the, the Trinity one, I imagine it, it's a well-known uh, institution, but in other charitable organisations, maybe the charity would benefit from the association with my name. And by encouraging others. Exactly, it encourages others. So not only is it my donation that has gone on, but my name association, does that bring more donations? It gives extra credibility. And actually, simply by allowing that publicity, that's almost a further philanthropic effort because it does beget more donations. Yeah, and so that's why they go that way. That's a complex enough issue, yeah. But as you say, it is subjective. 
passive or proactive then, I suppose, is the next discussion. Do, do, do you just want to hand the money over on a, on a, in a lump sum or in a regular way? Or do you want to be more proactively involved with the cause involved? Yeah, exactly. And there's probably, it's true in lots of things about philanthropy, but in this one as well, there is no one size fits all type approach. Uh, there are lots of people who will make just cash donations and they feel that that's it. The, the charity is best placed to decide what to do with those funds. I'm happy that the cause they're working on is one that I support and that's why I've given my donation. And I suppose let them do what do with it what they will. They, they are going to put it to the best use possible. Uh, others will take a more, I suppose, proactive approach where they will, yes, they'll donate to an existing charity, but they will also give their time to that charity. So they will sit on the board, they'll get involved in project management. Uh, there are lots of different ways where you can get, I suppose, not a full-time role, but a little bit involved where it's more than just your cash. You feel you're, you're also giving your time, which to many people is their most valuable resource. Mm. And that's what they do. And then you kind of have the 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 even more proactive one where you actually set up your own charity uh, and as I mentioned earlier that we did have that case where that was their own charity they set up and sometimes that can be done for reasons of structure and governance that you know you want that control and you you are going to be very heavily involved and if you are going to be very heavily involved maybe that's the best way to do it that you have your own charity and you are very much running that charity. Regards of, of, of which approach you take then, whether passive, semi-active or very proactive, as you have outlined there, Keen, um, what, are th- what are the governance issues involved? What are the things you need to think about in terms of how that money is, is managed, overseen, how it's spent, that kind of thing? Sure. So I suppose firstly... Uh, we have probably mentioned the word charity without actually defining what that is. Very important. <laughs> so one of the first things you need to do is make sure you are within one of the, the charitable purposes that is recognised in Irish law. So there are... Now, is that purely just for tax reasons or are there other reasons why it, it, it has to be recognised as a charity? For charity regulatory reasons. Uh, so it, the tax follows on from it, but primarily there's a, there's a charities regulator and you need to fall within one of those purposes in order to be called a charity. So the the four purposes that are there are the relief of poverty, advance, advancement of education and advancement of religion. And then what I might call the catch-all of other purposes beneficial to the community. <laughs> a wonderfully nebulous phrase. It'd <laughs> be kind of hard to fall outside those parameters, isn't it? Well, it, it, you would think so. Um, but helpfully, the charities regulator on the website does have a, a list. I think it's about a dozen um, purposes that are recognised as falling within that last one. Uh, I mean, there, there are plenty of examples where you don't fall within them. So it, it is good to have a list of when you can. So that's an important consideration, even if you're going to set up your own charity. Absolutely. Uh, and having that plan... And making sure that you do fall within one of those is critical before you start. That is, first and foremost, to be a charity, you have to have a charitable purpose. Um, and the, the second consideration that people then move to is, well, legally, what am I when I'm a charity? And typically, charities are formed as either trusts or companies limited by guarantee. So in a trust scenario, you are governed by a trust deed, which broadly can be written whatever way you want it to be. So there is significant flexibility in how you set up trust, how you govern a trust, exactly what's in the deed or in some cases what's not in the deed. But that 
flexibility does come at a little bit of a cost, if particularly if you want to operate outside of Ireland, in that trusts are an Irish animal, uh, an Irish trust is an Irish legal animal. And when you go to certain other countries, sometimes they don't have a similar concept in their local law and they can struggle to understand the concept to know, well, well, what is it? And that is the kind of question that, particularly if you know from the outset that you're going to operate in a country that doesn't recognise trust, you don't want to run into that problem you know, it's six months, a year down the road when you've all the work done and are ready to go. Sounds like one of the areas where you specifically <laughs> need advice. Yes, um, <laughs> that that is one in particular and how you set that up. I, I think that's generally true. The The advice piece is largely around set up and establishment rather than the ongoing piece. Um, so if we take the, the other option where you have a company limited by guarantee, yes, there is a pro forma constitution on Revenue's website. There are various guidance notes available on what exactly needs to be in it, your board of directors, your composition, all that kind of thing. But you'll find that charitable work, because it is so personal and so subjective, a pro forma constitution isn't enough. It it still needs to be tailored to the circumstances of, well, what are you doing? Who do you intend to be involved in this? Is it just family? Are you going to involve third parties? And having that structure right from the start just gives you the confidence to go on. And let's be honest, nobody wants to be bogged down in the administrative nature of setting these things up. So it's a case of get the right structure in place and then you can go about your work with confidence, knowing that you have that structure. And once you have that planning process over with and you you have the structures in place, the proper structures in place or the appropriate structures in place, is it then up to yourself to what degree you want to oversee how your money is spent, you know, supervise the auditing of these uh, of these charities or whatever? Because, you know, unfortunately, we see in the case of some charities, money can be misspent at times. But is, is that your personal responsibility to see how your money is spent? I, in, a, in a sense, it is in that it depends on how you set up the charity in, in the first instance or to step it back to them, the more passive one, you're not setting up the charity at all. So you're relying on the, the third party to do all of that. So again, there's a, call it a sliding scale of approaches here where in a pure family charity that you have set up yourself, the the board members will often just be family members. Now they can be spouses, they can be parents and children, siblings. Um, now naturally the, the family dynamic in that is important to, to make sure that you are have the same ideas in mind and you're not going to fall out. I was just going to say that to you, you know, because you've referenced family and, 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 and children, whether they're adult children or not, a number of times there. Is there an ideal time or to what degree would you advise that a philanthropist or a budding philanthropist plans should be communicated with the family? Not, not just in terms of what they're planning to do, but that that money may not be inherited down the line by them. (laughs) Yes, Uh, which can be a significant consideration for some people. Uh, So I think as a general rule in succession matters, I would always advise early communication and the more people know, the better. I fully appreciate it can be uncomfortable for the person who is actually talking about their passing and what's going to happen afterwards. But it's a conversation that's worth having. And in the same way with charities or philanthropy where you're doing that, Early communication is key and I would probably go further and say it's important that it's a two-way communication. So I think of the way your phrase it was more of the the parent, if mm. I use that as the example. The wealth owner. The wealth owner uh, who is 
not dictating, but giving their view of this is happening. Uh, I would think it's much better to have the two-way communication. It, it gets everyone much more involved and for the other people to feel they're being consulted and they have an input into one, what's happening with the money and in terms of charity versus keeping it for the family. And secondly, what charitable causes you are actually going to support because you'll you'll find in certain families that discussion is very easy because again they've grown up in, they've grown up together they possibly have a similar mindset and actually when it comes down to it they would choose to support the same charities or at least charities in the same space so that's an easy discussion uh, in other cases you'll find that actually they have completely divergent ideas mm-hmm. so that discussion at the outset is critical to say well we don't want to be six months down and suddenly find that, say, Kean and his brother have completely different ideas. We have a fund of whatever the number may be. It can't do both. So do we effectively end up choosing one child over the other as to which we support? And it would be a hugely disappointing outcome for everybody involved if the wealth owner had set up what was supposed to be a rewarding family experience and ended up going the other way and causing a family rift. And that's why that early two-way communication can, well, one, it'll bring it to light. And once it has come to light, you can find ways of working around it. Yeah. Maybe it's something as simple as you say, well, we are going to work together, but notionally we're going to have two funds and you're in charge of this one and you're in charge of the other. So yes, we work together, but you get to support your own causes. And I, I, what I would probably say is in any of the cases that uh, I have seen, there's always a way for it to work. Uh, the important piece is having that communication so you know where the tension is and you can find a way to work with it. Might be an area where an advisor comes in uh, handy as well. Um, what are the tax implications of, of philanthropic giving, uh, Kian? Is it is it purely to try and optimise the benefit to the charitable, uh, the charitable activity? Typically, it's... Sorry, the large part of it is when you think of your your public charities and ones that you know used to be going around with buckets collecting on the street. The the large part of the tax there is the the tax rebate that the charity gets itself. So I'm not sure if your listeners will be aware the rules around how that tax rebate worked changed in 2013. So previously. If I made, as an individual, if I made a donation, I used to get the tax back at the end of the year when I'd make a claim against my income for that donation. So it came back to the giver, uh, which um, brings that that Friends episode to mind of, uh, (laughs) is there ever a truly altruistic um, (laughs) donation? But it was changed in 2013. And two years ago, a report was done and found actually when it changed to being a relief for the charity instead, the the level of donation and number of donors has pretty much levelled off since then. Mm. Now, as I say, that that was two years ago. Which calls into question, in some cases, why... It, it does. And I suppose the only thing I would say on that is it is something we are seeing increasingly now. So quite possibly that is a factor of the economic cycle that we were in at the time. And now people are a bit more comfortable that they... They feel they have the wealth, whereas, you know, there was so much uncertainty around that time that nobody really knew how much they could give away uh, without giving away the family silver, as it were. And are we beginning to see it growing again, generally speaking? We are. Yeah. So we are seeing it more and more that people are doing it. And I suppose the what I would say on 
some of this is the the previous way of giving the tax relief. Uh, it was because it was a donor thing. It used to be an annual conversation. Uh, so me as a, a tax advisor preparing a tax return, I would prompt it. Or sorry, not prompt a donation. I'm not trying to claim credit. <laughs> I'd prompt a discussion because it was a question on the tax return, and maybe that was something that we would have we would have been the instigator of in terms of that question. Uh, whereas now there because that's not how it works in terms of the tax relief. Now it's very much a donor prompted question and they're coming to us and saying, actually, I'd like to do this. How do I go about it? And mm-hmm. that's I good the, to hear. Yeah. And it's it's important for society and it's 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 a great sign um, that people are are doing it. I think that's that's one of the key messages that I find. Sometimes people think about these things and they're put off by you talk about charities regulator, you talk about revenue, you know, interaction with various regulatory bodies. And yes, they want to support it, but the admin can be off-putting. And that, if you haven't been involved before, that question in your own mind of, well, how do I go about this? I, I haven't a clue. So actually, do you know what? I, I, I won't. And it, that's how off-putting sometimes it can seem. But actually, it's as simple as having that initial conversation and saying, this is something I want to do. How do I go about it? You will find someone who has done it before or can point you in the right direction. And it's, it's actually not that difficult, really, is it? Uh, or no, is it a bit bureaucratic? I'm sure I could say it was really difficult. <laughs> um, sorry, it it can be bureaucratic, but it's it's a case of knowing your way around the the process and what needs to be done. It, like anything in life, if you ha- or anything in business, particularly maybe, if you set out and you have a blank page where you don't know where to start, well, well it's very difficult to get to your end goal. If you have a, a a step plan or some sense of these are the key items I need to do, well, you can take them off. And a question I hadn't planned to ask you when setting out on this, but it's one that would prompt me that, you know, even people, even wealthy people who might be, a, apart from wondering what are the administration elements involved, perhaps wondering would the amount they had in, in mind, whether it was a lump sum up front or an amount over their lifetime, whether that might be embarrassingly low in the context of other philanthropic donations. In your experience, should people, if they're happy to give any significant amount of money at all, just do it? Yes. Short answer. <laughs> yes, I think uh, the nobody in the charity sector would thank me for saying otherwise. And uh, I would anyone that I've met in that sector would absolutely tell you that no matter how big or small, every donation is welcome. And that can be very small. So what someone consider completely insignificant and not worth the hassle to much more significant sums, the the small numbers are just as important because what you'll find is the the volume of small numbers, they all add up to the charity. So if you look at the, I think in that report that I mentioned a few years ago, something like 95% of all donations from individuals were under €5,000. Okay. Um, and I think even within that, the 90% were under 500 they, So they, it was really, individually, they were on the smaller side of things. Whereas from the charity's perspective, they they added up because it was a it was a volume basis for those donations, and they also got the tax rebate on them. So if they got a donation, and I'm going to choose an odd number for a reason, if they made a donation of six hundred and ninety euro, well, the the charity ended up getting a thousand because they claimed a rebate from revenue for the three hundred and ten in income tax that the donor had paid. So while previously the donor got the money. 
it's not the revenue we're hanging on to it the charity now gets mm. it instead mm. which is a good piece of knowledge to know and, and to have out there I, I suppose in, in most cases where, where professional advisors like yourself trying to, giving advice it, it would probably be philanthropic donations of over six figure sums I assume in many cases it would but yes. I, as I say I, I wouldn't put anyone off yeah. or, and I would be lying if I said they are always the case it's not they, they are much smaller numbers and uh, as I say it no matter no matter the number it's important to whoever's getting it that's it. Now there are other, there are other ways of making an impact, and the way people are thinking about about uh, uh, sustainability and the future of the planet and, and, and all of that. There are other ways than philanthropy. Uh, I suppose one way of doing so is 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 just if you are in business and you're generating your wealth through your business, to try to be more sustainable in in, in terms of how that business operates. Exactly, and that is something that is coming more and more onto the agenda of many businesses. I mean, you'll you'll see it in the large public companies and there are central bank moves to force reporting of climate change agendas and what you're doing on environmental things. Um, and I suppose that, in some cases, that is driven by regulatory change. And But in lots of cases, people are genuinely moving this way of their own accord. And actually, you'll find that family businesses are moving that way not because they're being forced to but actually that is the right thing to do and that's what they want to do so we have a sustainable futures team who would provide lots of advice in this space but one of them I suppose one of the areas is around that piece of how do you decarbonize your business like how do you move from your current level of carbon which involves knowing what that is mm. first and move that downwards but hopefully eliminate it completely and actually have a full net zero carbon business and you would be surprised there are so many things you can do in that space some of them very simple and I could be here for a couple of hours going through them all and I'm probably not the best qualified but I'd still know a fair few but even simple things if you think about the the COVID circumstances we found ourselves in the last 15 months it has actually meant that a lot of people are working from home. The There has been a wide embrace of paperless working as a result because you don't have a home printer or, you know, you have to go and get the ink yourself or whatever it may be. And actually, I think you'll find that from an environmental perspective, the amount of paper and ink alone that has been saved in the past 15 months, um, clearly no one wanted to be in the circumstances we are. But it's more as we go back to a more normal way of working, um, fingers crossed, over the next few months and onwards, that there are probably some practices that have reduced carbon footprints in the last 15 months. And maybe now that we've had that step change, we just continue. Um, I know I, I certainly will be cycling to work a bit more um, having now realised what the traffic is like and that it is quicker on a bike. And I suspect no more than, than people setting out on the philanthropic journey, I suspect particularly in terms of trying to reduce either your, your business carbon footprint or your personal carbon footprint, the sheer scale of the problem as we've heard, as we hear it in the, in the media and broadcast perhaps puts people off. So it's important to know that there are pathways there where you actually can make a difference in your in your business life. Exactly. And I think those are the, the, the easy, quick wins are probably important, particularly as you're setting out on, on the journey that you want to be able to show, yes, we are getting somewhere, whereas the, the longer term, more grandiose plans they, they tend to take a while to come to fruition and there's always a risk that along the way some will go, oh, we're not making a difference or, you know, why, why would we keep doing this? Whereas actually, and again, it's something similar to the small charitable donations. 
each small step makes a difference and you know there are lots of those steps that you can do easily yeah I suppose important to prompt people as well who may not be thinking this way that soon their suppliers and customers will require them to start thinking this way when we think of ESG environmental social and governance we, we generally understandably can tend to think of, of climate and and how we we can reduce our carbon footprints but the S and the G are important ways of making an impact even within your business as well in terms of your, your social impact in your community uh, the diversity of the people you employ or perhaps in your having your management or whatever exactly and it's probably one that is very much on the agenda I know certainly in KPMG the that diversity and inclusion and corporate social responsibility is huge and uh, we have you know we have a, a dedicated uh, person Karina Howley who I suppose coordinates the corporate social responsibility but what I would probably what I like about it is it's it's not driven by the firm so much as driven by the individual so me as a as an employee there there's a bank of CSR hours that I can use every quarter where as when I'm using it for some sort of social good, that that's fine. Uh, it's not annual leave. It's just there. That's part of my working life, okay. um, and I can use those whenever I like. Um, and equally, I think uh, I have a, a young son who's uh, just coming up on three now. And one of the things I enjoy doing with him is reading books. And um, now he's obviously not reading, but he's quoting them back to me when I get it wrong, unfortunately. <laughs> um, but. One of the things that we, we would have run, say, in the last while is a children book, book reading competition where people would have said who their favourite authors were and things like that. And that in itself, the, the social impact of children reading in as they go through education, as they come later in life, that's really important. Um, but like that, that, that's one that's important to me because of where I'm at in life. Uh, there are lots of other ways in which different people can help in various different ways. And I think that's the that's the beauty of that agenda. Um, if I call it an agenda, given it's so wide, there are so many things you can do. You'll, you will find something that is personal to you that you want to be involved in. Yeah, and I suppose just on that point, you know, we, we talked about the philanthropic uh, motivation and that, that tends to be money. Um, but people can also give of their of their time or their expertise, perhaps in joining joining a, a public board or an agency board or or acting as a mentor or other activities like that, where they're giving their time and their expertise, but making an impact in that way. Exactly, and that is a key one for people because, as I think I mentioned, time is our most valuable resource. We all have a finite amount of time, and in our working lives and family lives there isn't a whole lot of it spare. And actually you'll find that people who give up their time to get involved like that, that is as much or a greater commitment. As Particularly the, wealthy people who tend to be busy. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, than giving donations. And you will find that people fi- will also think, and again, to the credibility point and making sure that, I suppose, the involvement on the board you get that personal oversight of how the money is being used or what the charity is doing, not to focus on money so much. And maybe that's how they want to give back. Um, because if you think about it from the the donor of time's perspective, not only then are they seeing the impact that their money can make, but actually they're helping direct the impact that money from other people mm. is making. And maybe that has a, a, a bigger impact than just giving a large cash donation. And again, it's it's not a I suppose it's not a question of how much you give or comparing and things like that. It is make, that you give something and how you give or what you do to achieve it is really up to the individual. 
We'll wrap it up there. Any final thoughts or key messages you want to leave with people in this whole area of how they might think about making an impact with their wealth? I think what I've learned in my time working with people as they, I suppose, look to this and particularly as it is growing over the last few years is that piece around it. it is, there's no one size fits all and you you will always find a way to do and make the impact that you want to make. And sometimes, yes, it can be it can be off-putting when you think about it and say, oh, how will I go about this? The the first step and the the most important step is just a simple phone call. You you talk to someone and you will find how to do it. Okay. Thanks indeed, Keen. That's Keen Lady, Tax Director of KPMG there. And if you're interested in other wealth management advisory issues, please tune into the other podcasts in the series.